At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We're glad you're here as we turn to the book of Genesis for our newest series, Family, Why Bother? In the pages of Genesis, we'll discover all kinds of hurting relationships that prove families have been dysfunctional from the very beginning. Join us as we uncover the only one who can renew and restore our broken families. Thank you, Brenton worship team. God bless each and every one of you. How do you handle chaos? Chaos that leaves you thinking, what good can possibly come from this? Several years ago, there was a wonderful family who lived in Canada who decided to go on vacation. They hadn't been able to go on vacation for a number of years since the birth of their children. Their oldest son was seven years old. Their youngest, their second, was seven months old. And they scraped together their savings and they finally had enough money to go on vacation. They decided that they'd take a deal to Jamaica. And so they packed up the family and they went. The first three days were fantastic, full of sunshine and beaches and fresh air, and they had a great time. But on day number four, their seven-month-old began to vomit. And he had diarrhea. It started off small. It was okay. And then it got worse. And then it got more worse. And it got to the point where they rushed that infant to the doctors to the hospital in Jamaica, and, and they're sending out emails to the church family to pray. You can, you can feel the distress and the emotion in the email. But the doctors in Jamaica can't figure out what's wrong. They decide to airlift the baby to a hospital in Miami. But because it's a helicopter ride, only one parent can go. And so mom gets on the helicopter for that ride to Miami. The dad and the other son are left behind. They're on their own to figure out how they're going to get to Miami. Vacation's over. Life has turned upside down. Stress, distress, emotional heartache as you watch your little baby slowly waste away. And you wonder, God, where are you? Where are you in the chaos? Where are you in this mess? Where are you? And nothing seems to make sense. And what good can come of this? Have you ever been there? Perhaps you can relate to that story. Perhaps you're in the midst of chaos right now. That that's the way that your life has been. Perhaps news from the doctor or an accident or news from a family member or something that's turned your world upside down and you're wondering, Lord, what good can come of this? Where do we go to find answers in the midst of the chaos of our lives? Where do we go to find help when we're faced with that kind of stress and difficulty? Today we come to the last message in our series that we've been in for the last several weeks called Family, Why Bother? And we've been journeying through the book of Revelation, looking at the various first families of the Bible, looking at how God dealt in and through them and through their mess. And you can tell that their life was a mess, wasn't it? And yet what we have learned over and over again that even through their mess and even through ours, The truth is that we sin and we walk away from God and we sometimes don't want anything to do with God, but the truth is God still loves us, amen? And then even in the midst of our mess, God is working. 
And God is bringing to fulfillment and fruition the plans that he has for us in spite of the mess that we make. Last week, we looked at the story of Jacob and Esau, a story that should have been marked by violence and bloodshed, but instead was marked by humility and harmony simply because of the grace of God. It was the grace of God and nothing else. And today we transition to Jacob's son, Joseph. And we're going to be in Genesis chapter 37. And when you think of chaos, you ought to think of Joseph. Because his life was absolutely chaotic. And his family, I mean, that was dysfunction with a capital D. They were a mess of the highest order. And yet in the midst of the dysfunction, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of a life that didn't seem to make sense, what we're going to learn as we look and journey through the story of Joseph is that God reigns over the chaos of our relationships. God reigns over the chaos of our relationships. We're going to cover 13 chapters today. Are you all ready? If you thought last week was a lot, this week is even worse. And so we're going to be at the 30,000 foot level. We're just going to skim over the tops of the clouds. So buckle up. Here we go. I just want to point and start by pointing out the chaotic condition of the family. I'm in chapter 37, verse number one. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was a son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. So as the story starts, Joseph is 17 years old. He's a typical teenager, and he is the oldest son of Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel. And as a result, Jacob loved Joseph. And everybody knew it. Everybody knew it. And everybody knew it because when all the brothers slept on bunk beds, Joseph had his own room. When everybody else was getting hand-me-downs, Joseph had a Technicolor dream coat. I mean, normally robes in those days were sleeveless. And they only went down to the knee so as not to intrude or impede work, manual labor. But Joseph's coat had sleeves. His robe went down to his ankles, and it looked good on him, and it made him look like a prince. Everybody knew this was daddy's favorite. You think Jacob would have known better, right? You remember last week, Jacob's dad, Isaac? Isaac loved Esau, his brother, more than Jacob And there was all kinds of turmoil, all kinds of chaos as a result of Isaac's favoritism. So you would think that Jacob would have known better. But here's a newsflash. He made the same mistake. He made the same mistake. And favoritism ran rampant in that household as Jacob loved Joseph. But on top of that, we find Joseph to be a typical teenager. You know, he's running around with that fashionable robe. You'd think that that robe would have been special. He'd have hung up in his closet, you know, brought it out on special occasions. Oh, oh, no, no. He wore that robe everywhere. He rubbed his family's nose in it. Look at me. Don't I look good in this? 
and he strutted and touted his favored son's status. You know, if you remember what we, the verses that we re- read, we find that Jacob would send Joseph to check up on his other brothers. And when his other brothers were pasturing sheep somewhere nearby, Joseph would go and, and check up on them. And the Bible says that he'd come back and bring a bad report. Every time you see the word report in scripture, it's always usually a negative connotation. It means that Jake, Joseph was a tattletale. That he would call out his brothers, and usually he would color it with a bad report. He would make his brothers look bad. And then on top of that, if all of that wasn't enough, he had these dreams. Certainly dreams given to him by God. Certainly the meaning was very, very clear. That all of Joseph's family was going to bow down and serve Joseph. And you know what he does as a typical teenager? He told everybody. Hey, look, guys, look. And he told his brothers. How do you think that went? Yeah, he wasn't getting any brownie points with his brothers. But he told everyone. A typical teenager. And then you have his brothers. His brothers couldn't stand the sight of him. As he strutted around with that royal robe, they hated him. They couldn't even say hello to him. That's what verse 4 says. And then when he shared his dreams, verse 5 and verse 8 of chapter 37 say, They hated him even more. Hatred mixed with jealousy because of his favored status all combined into this bitterness and and they despised him and wanted him out of their lives. How's your family in comparison? I mean, this puts fun in dysfunction, doesn't it? (laughs) I mean, this is a mess. It's a volatile situation, a family mess that's on the brink of disaster. It doesn't get better. In verse number 12, you find that the brothers are some 60 miles away shepherding their sheep. And Jacob, the father, decides to send Joseph out on a little errand to do some checking up on the brothers. And we pick up the story in verse number 18. They saw him from afar. They, that is the brothers, saw Joseph from afar. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hand, saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness. Do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers... They stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. The bitterness, the hatred, the jealousy, all mixed together into a volatile, tragic turn that caused them to want to kill their brother. But Reuben saved him out of their hands, and they strip him of his robe, throw him into a a dry pit, and they sit down to eat. Like it's just another day. And then just by chance, if you believe in chances, here comes a merchant caravan headed to Egypt. And the brothers decide, you know, there's no profit in killing. Let's sell him. And they sell Joseph to this merchant caravan who take him down to Egypt. And they kill a goat 
They take Joseph's robe and they dip it in the goat's blood and they present it to their father and say, look what we found. And Jacob comes to his own conclusion. The conclusion is Joseph's dead and gone. I'll never see him again. And Jacob mourns the loss of his favorite son. And for years, he's mourning the loss of his son. And here's the sad part. Joseph's brothers never once tell Jacob the truth. Never once do anything to alleviate that sorrow. What a mess. What a mess. Dysfunction, chaos, bitterness, hatred. That's the, the words that mark this family. Let me pause here by, and just give you two ways of application. First, can I just say to parents, parents, we must be, beware of the folly of favoritism. Jacob should have known better. Jacob was on the receiving end of it. He knew what it felt like, but he propagated anyway. When the Lord blesses us with children, every child that comes into our family comes as a special gift of God with their own talents and their own gifts and their own ways of being loved and their own needs. And we as parents have the great pleasure and privilege to learn how God has wired each and every one of them to train them up in the way of the Lord, to show them right from wrong, and to love them in a way that pleases God and blesses the child. We must be careful not to fall into favoritism. But there's a second application I want to leave with you. And that is that when God gives us hopes and dreams and desires, nowhere does it say that we have to tell everybody I know we live in a culture where we have to be open and transparent and, and like everything that goes through our brain needs to be told to somebody. Can I tell you there's a Greek word for that? You know what it is? Baloney. <laughs> there are things that go through your head that should be locked up tight and never come out of your mouth. If you didn't know that, it's called your inside voice. And it needs to stay inside because those things don't need to come out, okay? But if you do have a dream or a hope or a dream, make sure you're only sharing it with people who have your best interest at heart, who love you, who can prayerfully take that dream and that hope to God the Father and provide you with some godly counsel and wisdom. That's who you share your dreams and desires to. You don't need to tell the world. It's between you and God and with those few people that need to know it. Joseph's family was a mess. Joseph's life was out of control and spiraling more and more out of control. But as we progress through the story, what we learn is that not only is his life a mess, but God is in providential control. We learn about God's providential control. Skip now down to chapter 39. Genesis chapter 39 Picking up in verse number one. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. Joseph went from being the favorite son of his father to being a slave in Egypt. 
But even there, in the midst of slavery, being sold at an auction block, brought into this prestigious man's home as a slave, God was with him. And no matter what Potiphar gave to Joseph to do, Joseph did it well. Joseph did it faithfully. Joseph did it to the best of his ability, and God blessed it. Everything Joseph touched turned out to be successful, and Potiphar noticed. And so Potiphar placed Joseph as head of his household. Potiphar just sat back and relaxed and drank tea and let Joseph run the home because whatever Joseph did, he did well, and he was successful. But at the end of verse 6, there's a little snippet of a verse that says, Joseph was well-built and handsome. That's nice, right? Uh Uh-huh. But the Bible says that Potiphar's wife took notice, took a look at him and said, oh, he's, he's handsome. And in her very subtle, grand Egyptian way, came up to Joseph and said, lie with me. And he said, no, I can't do that. Day after day, she pestered him to lie with him, lie with me, lie with me. And he kept saying, no, I can't do that. No, I can't do that. And finally, she grabbed him in a physical confrontation to force him to lie with her. And he ran away. And we pick up the story in verse number 20. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. Now, wait a minute. Didn't Joseph do the right thing? Of course he did. He stood for God. He stood faithful to his master. He stood faithful to his convictions. Then why is this happening to Joseph? Have you been there when you've done the right thing, but the wrong outcome came out? Joseph did what was right. He did what was pleasing to God, but Joseph got the short end of the stick. And if that were me, I'd say, Lord, this this is terrible. What are you doing? Lord, where are you? This was for you. I did this for you. I said, no, I kept my purity. I lived a righteous life. But where are you? God, what happened to my dreams? Your dreams. Where are you, God? Have you ever been there? Well, Joseph is there. And then you notice the first three words of verse 21. But the Lord. Friends, those are some beautiful words for every believer. I got a bad diagnosis from the doctor, but the Lord. I got into an accident, but the Lord. I received some tragic news today, but the Lord. Folks, those aren't magic words. They're not going to change your circumstance. You may still be in a pit, you may still be in pain, but because you know where you stand with him, you know that he's got you in the palm of his hand and that no matter how dark it may be, no matter how painful it may be, no matter how tragic it may be, but the Lord is on your side. How many of you are glad that you know that he is on your side? And so in verse 21, the Bible says, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. And whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. Can you imagine this gig? <laughs> the prison warden is in the back drinking coffee. Joseph doing all the work. Wow. 
And doesn't this sound like deja vu? Yeah. What happened in Potiphar's house is now happening in prison. If I were there, I'd, I'd have been a mess. But Joseph isn't complaining. Joseph isn't crying. Joseph isn't backbiting. He's still faithful. He's faithfully doing whatever God calls him to do. And there, while in prison, Pharaoh throws his cupbearer and his baker in prison for some infraction. We don't know what it is, but for some reason, they take them off and they get thrown in prison. Right into the same prison Joseph happens to be in. And they both happen to have a dream one night. And guess who can interpret dreams in that prison? And they come to Joseph, and Joseph asks about their dream, and he tells the cupbearer in three days, Pharaoh's going to restore you to your old position. But for the baker, he says, I'm sorry, but in three days, you're going to die. And then Joseph goes to the cupbearer and tells the cupbearer, hey, when you, get, when you get out in three days, can you put in a good word for me with Pharaoh? You see, I've been stolen from my, my family. I've been put in this prison falsely. I don't belong here. Can you put in a good word? And three days later, just as Joseph interpreted, the cupbearer is restored to his old position, and the baker is beheaded. But in the story, we find that the cupbearer forgot Joseph. The cupbearer forgot. How do you forget somebody in three days? I mean, come on. You could have died, but you were alive. And Joseph told you, how do you forget for two years, he forgot. Two years later, God would give Pharaoh two dreams. Dreams that shook him. Dreams that troubled him. Dreams that no one in his court could interpret. That's when the cupbearer remembered. And he said, I know a guy. I know a guy. And they bring Joseph out of prison and stand before Pharaoh. And to Pharaoh, Joseph is able to interpret the dream. And Joseph says, Pharaoh, God is sending you a warning. God is telling you that there's going to be seven years of abundance followed by seven years of a severe famine that's going to make the abundance seem like nothing. And so, Pharaoh, if I were you, I'd gather up all of the excess from those seven years of plenty and store them up so that when the famine comes, you'll have food to eat. We're in Genesis chapter 41. I told you we're going fast. Genesis chapter 41, down in verse 37. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all of my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. From the prison to the palace, God makes Joseph prime minister over Israel. And if you look at verse number 41, you find that Joseph is 30 years old. He's 30, which means 13 years of being a, a slave or a prisoner. 13 years away from home, away from fam family. And he would spend the next seven years traveling around Egypt, collecting all of the excess grain and storing it up. And after those seven years of plenty came to an end, just like Joseph predicted, there was seven years of famine. But because of the work Joseph had done, they had enough food to allow them to survive. But that famine 
didn't just impact Egypt. It impacted all of the surrounding nations. And it was because of those surrounding nations who were experiencing the same famine that caused Joseph's family to have to send those brothers again down to Egypt. And here comes those 10 brothers down into Egypt. And who do you think they stood before and bowed down in front of? Joseph. 20 years. 20 years for a dream to be fulfilled. This very brother that they hated, this very brother that they wanted to kill, has become the very brother that was going to be the agent that God was going to use to rescue them, to allow them to survive, and then allow them to thrive. Friends, 20 years is a long time for dreams to come true. Would you agree? If I were Joseph, I'd have said, Lord, I'm done. (laughs) Get me out of here. I'm done. You can keep your dreams. Because this is too painful. This is too hard. I can't see what you're doing. This makes no sense. There is no equation that where this can come out good. I don't see a path forward. And yet, all of the horrible, terrible, difficult things that happened to Joseph happened to allow Joseph to be at the right place at the right time for God to elevate him to the right place. Amen? You see, we don't know how all of our tears and all of our pain and all of our suffering and all of our hardships, how God is orchestrating all of them to mold us and to shape us and to make us into people that can accomplish his will and purpose. We don't know. The question is, can we trust that kind of a God who has that kind of sovereign control over our lives and and the circumstances and the situations of life? God can do miracles. Yes, he can. God could make money grow on trees, and I wish he would. But he doesn't do that. But he doesn't do that. That's not the way God works. God is at work in our lives using ways we would never choose to make us into people we could never imagine. Can you trust that kind of God? That's the kind of God we serve. A God who is in sovereign control. And Joseph summarizes his entire life in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. All of what happened to him, he summarizes with these words. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You know, Joseph didn't have a Romans 8.28. You and I love that verse. We quote that verse. We've memorized that verse, and it, it carries us through. Joseph didn't have it. But you know what he had? An unshakable faith in a sovereign God. A God he knew would move puzzles and pieces and events and people and circumstances ultimately to bring those dreams to pass for God's glory and for his good. That's the sovereign God we serve, my friends. That's the God who has you in the palm of his hand. For the mom and the baby that was airlifted to Miami, they ended up having to wait in the ER room. A ER room that happened to be full that day with just a few chairs empty. And as this mother is sitting there weeping, watching her seven-month-old infant waste away, she's weeping, she's crying, she's begging God, God, save my baby. 
please save my baby. And as she's there weeping, sitting in that ER room, in walks a 17-year-old teenage girl who had just failed at an attempt to take her life. She walks into this ER room and she sits, by chance, if you believe in that, next to this mom who's holding this baby. Now just imagine this scene for just a moment. It's been two days since she's had any sleep. Her husband and her son are still in Jamaica trying to figure out how to get to Miami. Her vacation's been blown up. All her plans are upside down. And she's watching her baby die in her hand. And here is this 17-year-old girl sitting next to her. But prompted by the Spirit of God, she strikes up a conversation. And in that conversation, they come around to the love of God. And that 17-year-old teenager says, I don't believe in God. I don't believe that God loves us. So stop that nonsense. And they continue the conversation. And the love of God keeps coming up over and over and over again. To make a long story short, that mom sitting there with her baby dying in her arms is able to lead this 17-year-old teenager to Christ. And no sooner does the amen come out of their mouths and she's now smiling, but the ER doctors come in. They rush her into the examination room. They take a good look at her, do some x-rays, and they come to find out that one of her intestines is folded, his intestines is folded on top of the other, and so is another one. And so they are looking at the options. They could do surgery, but they ultimately opt to do an alternative method, a method that is successful, stabilizes the baby, and within a few days, that baby is strong enough to be released, and, and they go home. Do you believe in God's control? For a 17-year-old who ran away from God, who wanted to end her life, to end it all, God was still pursuing her. And that at just the right time, God would bring a, a woman who happened to be on vacation in Jamaica to Miami, who happened to be from Canada, by the way, to a hospital room with a seat next to her, that 17-year-old could say, do you believe in chance? I don't. I believe in providence. I believe in a God who orchestrates events and people and things for his glory and our good. And that 17-year-old girl needed to hear the gospel that God loved her. And that mother who had nothing to give gave anyway. And now that 17-year-old teenager will live forever because she knows Jesus. Yes, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Friends, the Lord always has a plan. The Lord always has a plan. From Canada to Jamaica to Miami, God has a plan. From the pit to the prison to the palace, God is sovereign. Jacob's life teaches us that God is in control. Even when our life doesn't seem like it, God is in control. But one of the beautiful things about Joseph's life is that Joseph's story is a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ. There are so many points of comparison between the life of Joseph and the life of Jesus. In fact, one scholar came up with over a hundred points of connection. I don't have time to take you through all of them. I don't even have time to take you through what I've written down. But let me just share a few things about Christ's redeeming work. Just as Joseph's brothers were jealous and conspired to kill him, the Jewish leaders of Israel conspired to kill Jesus. Joseph was sold for 20 pieces of silver. Jesus was sold for 30 pieces Joseph was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. So too was Jesus falsely accused for the crimes he did not commit. 
Joseph was in charge of everything as prime minister of Egypt. God the Father has given Jesus all authority and power in heaven and on earth. And whenever people came in front of Joseph, they had to bow. But at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friends, that's the God we serve. But there is one distinct difference between the story of Joseph and the story of Jesus. You see, Joseph's life was spared. And in his place, they killed a goat. And they dipped Joseph's robe in that blood to deceive their father. But Jesus was never spared, was he? Jesus hung on a cross on three nails, beaten, bloodied, whipped, bruised. Not because of anything he did, but because what you and I did. Joseph was able to help his family and their surrounding nation survive a famine. But because of the blood that was shed on Calvary, he brings salvation to the whole world for everyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus will be saved. Friends, can I ask you this morning, do you know Jesus? Have you given your heart and life to Jesus? Have you received the forgiveness of sins that can only be found in Jesus? If not, can I introduce Jesus to you? It starts by saying, Lord, I'm sorry for the things I've done. I'm sorry for the mess that I have made. I'm sorry for sinning against you. Would you forgive me? Would you wash me in the blood of Jesus? And would you come into my life? And would you be the Lord and Savior of my life? And the Bible says that when you do, you will be saved. And Jesus will come to live inside you. He will wash you. He will forgive you. He will adopt you into his family. He will give you a joy and a peace that you and I don't deserve. And he will say, welcome home. And we get to live forever with him in all eternity. Friends, if you're here today and you don't know him, would you please come to the cross? and receive him as your Lord and Savior. If you are here today and you do know and love Jesus, just know that Joseph's story might be your story today. Perhaps there's a doctor's diagnosis that has, that has left you terrified. Perhaps there's an accident that's happened that has turned your world upside down. Perhaps there's news that has brought chaos and dysfunction into your family. But know that we trust a God in whose hands we stand. That none of our scars and none of our tears and none of our pain and none of our sorrow is ever wasted. He's molding. He's shaping. He's forming. He is doing what only God can do in your life and mine to bring him glory and our good. Hold on to him. Even when nothing good seems to be able to come from this mess, know that he's working. Know that in the chaos of our lives, God is still reigning over the chaos of our lives. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.